check, check. David T. Miller, folks. Loading artist. Audio inside. Loading artist. Audio inside. Oh, it's Artcast, it's Artcast, it's Artcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen by your easel, maybe you can grab a chair. Or even take it with you like you ain't got no care. Loading artists. Audio inside. Loading artists. Audio inside. So sit back and relax and grab your headphones too. Adjust your volume, it's hotcast. Philip J. Mellon welcomes you. So sit back. Oh yeah, it's Artcast. Loading artists. Audio inside. Loading artists. Audio inside. Hey, and welcome to Otcast. Be sure to check out the artist's websites or otcast.com and check out the work and links. All right, let's get started. Words of the day. Organic, scale, layer, complexity, and intuition. Welcome back, Brooke Mullins-Doherty. Brooke and I first spoke back in the early days of Otcast in 2011, and I thought it would be a good thing to catch up and talk about Brooke's current show and the work in it, along with details regarding her varied and focused working methods. Brooke's show is titled Divulgences. Catch it if you're in the New Bedford, Massachusetts area for the reception on October 13, 2022. The exhibition runs September 12th through October 20th, 2022 at the Co-Creative Center at 137 Union Street in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Also featured in the interview are three questions submitted by previous podcast guest, Chicago-based painter Renee Robbins, so be sure to listen in for those. And without further ado, the Brooke Mullins-Doherty interview. Thanks for tuning in. I guess uh, to start off, I wanted to congratulate you on your show at Co-Creative Center. Thank you. It was, it's been in the works since it was actually initially scheduled for March of 2020, I'm sorry, for May of 2020. And so it didn't happen. And we had kind of delayed rescheduling it until it seemed like we were reasonably sure everything could proceed according to, you know, the schedule. I didn't want to have to to redo it all um, again. So it's interesting because I already knew what works were going to be in the show. And then, you know, two years intervened before I actually got to have the show. And so I made a bunch of different work than what I thought was initially going to go in. But yeah. the small divulgences pieces are still there. That, that was the constant. That was something I knew would be in it. And those are still there. Oh, cool. Do you know how many pieces are in the show offhand? Hmm, it's a lot. It might be like 30 something. Oh, cool. I'm trying to remember what the total number was. I feel like the last time I looked, it was like 30 something pieces. Maybe, maybe, maybe around that. 
I'll, I can't think right off the top of my head. Oh, it's okay. I just <laughs> <laughs> lots of small ones and a few bigger ones. Right. Yeah, that's cool. And also, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure. We did this uh, back in February of 2011. I had to, I checked, you know, because I knew it was in the beginning days. But well, not even 2012. It was 2011. Wow, yeah. time. <laughs> right, a... right. It's something. It's just, yeah, it just went by. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah. So let me see. I'll pick out some questions. Oh, I guess first off, like, wh where are you based out of? So I'm recording here in my new, uh, this is my library now and I'm here in Maplecroft in Fall River. So I'm looking out the window at some beautiful maple trees. I think there were two, when I spoke to you the first time I was in my tiny little apartment on Allen street. And then, you know, we moved to our house in New Bedford that allowed me to have a full studio. And then now I have a huge studio, but I don't have anything set up yet. So that's, oh, okay. that's sort of where I'm at. <laughs> nice. Well, well, good luck with that, getting it together. Thank you. You're welcome. And also, the title for your show, how, can you t let us know where that came from? So, divulgence is, you know, to, to like a secret, like to tell someone a secret, to divulge something. And I made initially a series of collages called divulgences because I read a book by Peter Wallen, I think it was Peter Wallenstein, about trees. And it was... You know, I think a lot of people know now that trees can communicate with each other. Like, I guess it's not super new knowledge, but it completely shocked me. And it was fascinating to me, the idea that trees could communicate through their roots and through releasing compounds in the air. And there's still so much we don't know about it. And, you know, they 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 pulse rhythms through their roots that may help send water up, you know, up into their branches and back down and around yeah. their whole connected root system. And it just amazed me. And I, I, I love trees. I've, I've always really inter been interested in botanical imagery and in the workings of plants, but it just gave me a whole new metaphor for you, like brain cells and human communication. And, you know, I'm on what we, what we share and what we, what we receive, you know, when they align, when they don't, it just seemed like a really rich area to explore, um, yeah. in terms of possibility, like visually, you know, of course too, but just like conceptually, there's a lot going on. Um, so that's what the divulgences were about. In, uh, the original interview, I know we talked about scale a lot and I'm not sure if we already covered that in the recording, but, <laughs> um, and just the idea, like uh, taking work from the website and that perceived like sort of dimensions and then into the, like say the real world and well luckily we'll get to do that at the show so um yeah but they 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 come some of them come across as small like i was saying but there's like so much like visual information that it would be amazing to see them in person to see that like scale and the way they're meant to be pretty much yeah. And they, and even within the works, there's, a, you know, an issue of scale. Like, I think when I talked to you before, I was making mostly really large sculptures, which, you know, in the, in the years since we've, I've been doing those, you know, I have three children now and the, the demands yeah. on my time are significantly greater than they were then. So, you know, it's not very rewarding to make super large work when I only, you know, when it takes me 10 months to see a piece completed. Like I think uh, last year I did make a large work, but I worked on it a little bit every week. I had a plan for, and it, and it took me 10 months to complete. So I found that small works are really great because it's a fun scale to enter and it's a way to get a lot done in the amount of time I have. So that has definitely 
affected the change in scale that I've worked with. But I also enjoy the contrast of really small details and, you know, yeah. the big things I'm thinking about. Um, you know, it. I like sh I like getting the viewer to shift out of the scale, too. I feel like the less time we can spend on the regular human scale, the more opportunity there is for for having a real interesting experience of something unexpected. And that's something I'm wanting to, you know, to, to encourage the viewer into. Yeah. Did you say the unexpected? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, one of my favorite questions that has, that's still with the podcast is, you know, three to five words to describe your work. And I remember last time I had said something like, uh, the element of surprise. So, uh, it, it's cool to see that uh, still a part of your work. Oh, thanks. You know, I, I thought about those five words. Actually, I haven't listened recently to that podcast, so I don't remember what I said then, but I like that that was one of the words I picked. I considered it. I actually didn't choose it this time, but I, I did consider it again. So that's fun. Yeah. So I have uh, sort of a relationship to the work question. And I was wondering, what would you say you spend most of your studio time doing, looking, making or thinking? Mm, so my studio time is really interesting these days. So I, I can't give you like a straightforward answer. Um, so I had a daughter in the spring in 2020 and because she was a pandemic baby, and I never had to leave her cause I was working remotely. I just started doing everything with her on my lap. And so it's really only been super recently that she has napped independently from me. And so all of my studio time was really time during her naps where she's sleeping on my lap and I'm working on the table. Yeah. So that's only a small, I guess that's less time than I think about it because I'm thinking about it a lot more than the time I actually have allotted to me to work. So I guess I would say thinking time is greater. Yeah. Um, but the physical making time involves some interesting constraints <laughs> that, that I've managed to, I guess, deal with and overcome, I suppose is a word. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, they're very complex, you know, and especially with some of them with color and everything else and just like the visual imagery that it just seems like they must come from a place of thinking, uh, you know, and sort of maybe not directly planning already like the compositions, but or, or maybe is that the case too or no? So when I have the time to actually, I, everything is planned, like I have to, to be able to get anything done. So I think about the work like during times I'm not able to actually create, but when I have a, a, a chance to actually sit there and work, like right away I get to it. I know what I'm going to do that day. I know what my purpose is. I know I'm going to have like a small window to execute it in. So I don't actually plan the whole compositions in advance though. It's just that I plan everything that I can execute that layer within a, you know, hour to an hour and a half time frame because that's, I know that's what my window of work will be. So I know I've got to get to it. So, yeah. I guess I think about the layers in between. So each layer I plan out um, in terms of paintings and drawings, like I plan out that layer and I pretty much know what I'm going to do the next time I get a chance to work. And so the planning is one layer at a time. But I don't ever really know what the work is. When I first sit down the first time to start something new, I don't know what it's going to look like when it's done. I just know what I'm going to do for that layer for that day. And then I sort of respond each time I respond to decisions I made last time. And so it sort of grows in a convoluted, you know, shape. Sometimes where I end is very different than where I thought it was going to go. And then other times the pattern, you know, I think I tend to focus on a lot of patterns. Like I, I have a set of rules that I'll establish, you know, well, this is now that I'm starting this piece, you know, the rule is the outer layer has a dot that can, you know, every dot must be connected. You know, there can be no dots that are unconnected and every external layer has a dot. And so the circuitry has to get built. Now, I don't know exactly where the circuits are going to go, but I know that every piece is going to get connected up. 
So there starts to get a little bit more predictability once I'm several pieces into the series, into that system of rules. And I tend to make, you know, at least six things the same way, you know, three to six at a time working on the same way. So there starts to be an order to it all. Yeah. Uh, something I've been doing recently for the podcast is that I have a previous guest submit questions. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And, and usually, uh, almost all the time, the artists that kind of, I imagine their work speaks to each other. So I thought it'd be interesting questions that would come out of it. So this time around, uh, Chicago-based painter, art, uh, excuse me, uh, Renee Robbins uh, came up with three questions for you. So I'll just, you know, do my best at reading these. <laughs> so she's wondering if uh, you if you work from specific sources in your studio or is your process a little more intuitive? Both. Um, I, I So one of the things that changed when I started doing that work with my daughter in my lap was I was trying to change, a, I mean, a lot about my work situation had changed just by its very physical nature. But I also realized that the imagery I had been working from had started to become more self-referential. Like it was like a loop where I had been looking at things in nature. And then I started looking more at the way I was drawing them. And at some point after realizing that I, I needed to like shift outside again to maybe refresh my imagery, I started drawing things that were on the table around me. I started doing some pattern and texture inventories. So, you know, it, it was the farm share, like the weekly vegetables we got became, you know, and trying to locate patterns in the everyday, trying to find elements of the unfamiliar and interesting and stuff around me became like, I, I spent a lot of time drawing a cobweb behind the chair that I was sitting yeah. in while I was working. And, and then that became a really fun pattern and process. So, um, I mean, for most of my work and, and then there's specific trees I keep coming back to like there was a tree in my backyard of my old house that I really loved. I loved watching it sway in the wind. I loved thinking about how old it was. Um, and that, that tree has been in quite a few paintings, you know, I, I end up drawing it and cutting out the stencil. And then once it's a stencil, I'm going to use that stencil until the, the tree branches fall off of it. These <laughs> <laughs> get reused a lot. So yeah. yeah, it's a mixture. A lot of it, I just draw on the spot too. Cool. So Renee's next question was, she's interested in your color palette and can you share some insight onto the limited palette choices in your series Recipro reciprocity, excuse me. <laughs> so those are that's one that's my newest series and I was really interested so initially the rule for that was black and white I started the reciprocities with the idea that um you know wanting to continue trying something new you know I did the same series I did the same thing every week for six years in terms of one print series and I thought well now I want to do something different every year once a week um, and so I had decided, well, ink painting is something I had wanted to get into. Like, uh, you know, I, I had done it in college and I was terrible at it and it was really intimidating, but it's something I admired other people's ink paintings and it, it seemed like the sort of thing I should enjoy. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe this is my opportunity every week I'll practice it and then I'll try something new and this will be my exploration. So initially it was black and white. And then, you know, really quickly, I, 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 I love color. I, I didn't want to do black and white anymore. So I started, but I also didn't, I'm still learning how to mix color with the ink. So a lot of the limitations are simply me giving myself some rules to try to explore in a reasonable way <laughs> as yeah. I'm, you know, playing with a new material. The ink is really, really new, but it's, it's really fun. So if you go too many colors at once, you know, I guess that feels less controllable um, unless, you know, they're not opaque. You, you can't, uh, yeah. layer 
for them and have that work in any sort of predictable way, it would just all end up black. So that knowing that has been driving some of my color choices, but I think a lot about complementary colors. I think a lot about analogous colors. I mean, I think a lot about color theory stuff because I teach color theory and I'm talking to students about it, you know, every day. And it's something I'm really interested in. It's something I notice a lot. Yeah. It's certainly throughout your work. There's that question again, the three to five words. I, one of them I wrote down for myself was colorist. So, uh, it's, it's, it's there <laughs> for sure. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I definitely, yeah. So Renee's third question is how do you layer mac macro and micro in your work? Do you think of it more as a subject or mark making or a combination of both? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like it's pretty intuitive. I guess I don't think about it that consciously. I suppose as soon as it starts seeming recognizable to me as being at one scale, I don't like that. I want to pull back from it because I always like it to be something that you can imagine, you know, crossing your eyes and being tiny or looking out and it's expansive. Like I, I like my work to work at multiple scales. So I suppose if I'm starting with trees and something recognizable, then, you know, by my third or fourth layer, I really need to be adding something that challenges the notion that it's a tree, even though that is maybe what I'm starting with. I actually want to deny it and take it back a couple of layers later. So then I might draw something that looks, you know, cellular and something that looks more like, something that would happen at the very microscopic level to make you doubt that maybe it's not a tree after all, because it's not just a tree. It's more than a tree. It's not a tree. It, yeah. It's, it's a metaphor and it, it's a place to, to begin thinking of something else from. So I, I guess that's, I think that's what's guiding my process of the back and the forth, you know, the giving it and then denying it. But that, that I'll have to continue. I'll continue thinking about that question, like beyond this, because that I, I hadn't really thought of it that way before. Great question. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Renee. Yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, like the three to five word question popping up again in my head. I didn't know if you had uh, come up with a phrase or something, individual words for your work or specific series. Yeah. I was thinking about this on and off I was, as I was moving about my day. I'm like, well, complexity, you know, complexity is definitely there. Um, I had several words I considered and rejected. So complex, organic, dynamic, turbulence. And I kind of played with whether or not intimate was one I wanted to consider using. I guess that's one I'll give and then deny <laughs> the back. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I want there to be something inviting in and then something that's small in scale. But then I don't know if maybe that word means other things to people beyond what I'm thinking about. Yeah, so I guess yeah. I'll, I'll, I give that, I, I guess I'll pick that as my fifth word, but with, with, with reservations. Okay. Well, it definitely giving a certain view to the viewer that, you know, like I, you were talking about it earlier, just the, the difference of scale or like perceived, like I had mentioned, and then like, you know, what, what is, what the size actually is, even if we know the dimensions without seeing it um that there brings a different view to it all so it's uh it's nice to like study the work online and then you know have the chance to see it in person that's where like to extend that like sort of a, a double view and like maybe where the intimate or the what's the uh there's another word i had that popped into my head i forget what um uh, uh i lost it hopefully it'll come back <laughs> but yeah so two more words that i had come up for your work if you don't mind is uh, natural and wonder. 
Yeah, wonder, I love that. That was actually, I was striving for something along those lines. It's interesting because I found that thinking of words as adjectives was really hard for me. I can think about principles I consider. I'm like, yeah, like I can think about, you know, what does your work do? Well, it involves contrast, it involves repetition, it involves rhythm. But like thinking about those as adjectives was really hard. Wonder was one of the, yeah, I definitely am striving for that. And I'm glad that you see that. And I couldn't think of that word, to, but that would, that's definitely along the thoughts I was considering. And what was the first one you said? Natural. Natural. Yeah. I, I said organic, but yeah, natural is, is, is probably better or along those same lines anyways. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's like just the idea that you've done so much sculpture in, in your, in your career and, and then push it really pushing these paintings and ink drawings. It's like, I just thought of natural being like, say the subject or what have you. And then natural being like as a medium, like, Oh, I, I can paint and I can create insulation and, you know, it's, you know, I just hear like a, a playful sort of quote saying, you're a natural, you know, <laughs> like, so it's, it's, it's cool to see because I'm a painter and I, I, I don't really use ink at all. And watercolor, I'm actually shy away from it because I feel like it's, you know, it's going to be too revealing of like the lack of uh, skill I have with such things. But um, so, and I have a friend who paints watercolor all the time. So uh, I, I have a feeling that it might make its way into me, but I may or may not show people. <laughs> uh, well, that's like, you know, you don't have to show anyone, but it's fun to play with. I was reading something about, it was an article about what makes someone, it was like, what goes wrong? Why geniuses and virtuosos and people who are good at stuff tend to be younger. And then as they get older, they stop trying new things and then their work yeah. stops being as good. And there's something about the tension between being good at something, but still exploring something new that seems important for discovery and you know around the time I was reading that was when I decided to just go for it with the ink because I I'd had I mean I've had similar experiences with watercolors not and they're not you know they haven't been good but maybe the the collaboration between the struggle to try something new and then like the response of something familiar looping back into it maybe good things can happen there I yeah. that's been the goal anyways cool well, it's something about symmetry that that shows up in a lot of your work, but it's not always rigid, you know, like whether it's top to bottom symmetry or side to side or even like if some of the pieces are do you work on diptychs at all or I, I wasn't sure. You know, it's funny because I because I work on multiple pieces in the same series at the same time, like I usually am doing, you know, three of something at a time if it's involving paint, because that's it, it's just a good it's it's an efficient way for me to work with the amount of time I have and the amount of paint I tend to mix, and the amount of area I tend to use. And so just because of that, they often look like they belong together. And so. I made an accidental diptych that, you know, when we're hanging the show, we actually decided not to hang them next to each other, but they fit together perfectly. It wasn't yeah. my intention that they belong together, but um, multiple times I, I've ended up making works that line up, um, but, but I don't want them. So yes, I have done that, but it wasn't what I set out to do. So I don't know how much I want to own it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really my intention. I was like, yeah, I made that diptych, but and I yeah. did number them, you know, consecutively. But I didn't feel that they needed to be shown together either. So yeah. I guess it's not really a diptych in that case if they can be separated so easily. All right. It's nice when the process can take over and just that sort of subconscious element that you you, you may make two paintings that mirror each other, you know, and uh without the intent and like i can see that with the it seems like you really dive into a specific subject or just like draw the inspiration from a specific subject that you know it it almost seems like it would be bound to happen at times 
Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, And I think a lot of times work ends up looking like it belongs together because it's the same things I'm thinking about and the imagery is similar. And in the case of works that I'm making with prints or paintings using stencils, like it literally may involve the same component again. So, you know, considered in a different way. So they do belong together. I was wondering if maybe you could just describe what the wood wide web means to you and how it relates to your work. So that's like, that's not my term. That's literally the term, you know, given from, I mean, I'm not sure exactly who named it. Um, but it's a term given foresters and botanists and people who are studying trees to, ex to, to name. So trees roots are connected by, um, by mycorrhizal fungus to each other. And so there's this network of fungus that actually links all of the trees and probably all of the plants and, you know, everything in the surrounding area. Like I didn't know that the fruiting body, uh, that the mushroom is actually not its own discrete thing. It's actually just the fruiting body of this huge fungus that's connected underground that this network can involve multiple different fungi. It can involve, you know, many different individual trees. And so like a forest is its own organism, really, if you think about it that way, like it's literally not a collection of individual trees. It's like a superstructure yeah. and trying to, trying to make, trying to imagine that is really cool. And then trying to imagine it as it relates to the human scale, like could our, could something like that happen with brains? You know, we, our brain is all inside of our own body, but the way that we give and receive information makes it stretch beyond. And so the way we're connected as individuals in a community, you know, is a, is a superstructure too. Like that, that's a, a comparable superstructure in a way. It's not physically connected, but it ends up having some of the same effects. And being able to realize that there's such an interesting parallel in nature I didn't know about, you know, I, I mean, I think it, it seems like a silly thing to say, oh, I've always been connected to trees, like, because hasn't everyone, you know, isn't that something we all, feel? you know, it's such a fundamental part of, of existence, like they've been around for so much longer than us. But I, I really, really love thinking about them. It, it really gives me a rich source of joy and inspiration. Um, and I was super, super sad that this huge, old, wonderful tree crashed and crushed my old studio, like I had oh. loved so much and so in the middle of all this stuff about trees like oh like the trees give and they take away like it destroyed my, <laughs> my studio and my workspace in my car but like now I'm really missing it because I have this big lack of you know this beautiful thing I looked at every single day for a super long time every day um it was like losing an old friend so yeah. I guess trees as individuals versus versus the this connection to something larger than ourselves which is I think what we all want to be a part of yeah, it's it's interesting how you said it was physical, and then like I think we, you know, as humans, we've been given a gift to communicate in it's like so many different ways. Whether you know it's verbal, that's uh, well, there's touch, of course, and you know, things like that. But uh, you know, to share ideas and you know, it's it like I watched a couple of videos this morning about it, about the trees, and you know, I I passed by an article ages ago, but I never read it, so it's kind of <laughs> cool to see that the details of that 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 network and then to think about your work, which kind of almost narrates it through your own, you know, um, your own mind and your own imagination uh, about well, that. It's definitely imagination. Like as I think it's important to say, like as much as I love reading about this stuff and I love thinking about it and I, I do consider it as I'm drawing, but like, I'm, I'm thinking about chemicals transmitting across fungi. I'm thinking about neurotransmitters, but what I'm actually drawing is like a series of little dots on a line and it's not really meant to, 
it's just something I'm thinking about while I'm working and it's guiding my decisions, but not in a, like, I'm not looking at a picture of this happening and trying to imitate it. It's, it's just sort of ba- based on a daydream about the thing, I guess. Yeah. I want to just jump to uh, a question about favorite artists. Do you, uh, can, can you mention any that you uh, have been looking at or just in the past, Barbara, present? Barbara Takanaga is one I've been looking at a lot lately. She's somebody I just discovered recently and I love her patterns and the sense that they could be small or large. There's these really interesting little trippy layered paintings that I think a lot about um, succession with. Like, I feel like there's a lot of relationship to works I've made. And so she's somebody I've looked at more lately. You know, of course, there's all the classics like, you know, I, I mean, historically, I've I've always been interested in Eva Hess. I've always been interested in um, like I guess I haven't looked at Judy Pfaff that much lately. I guess she was really important for a lot of my sculptural work. Um, but I, I'm trying to think of other important people that I can throw in that would be relevant. I'm like looking at this big, um, collection of, of art books over here. And I'm, I'm trying to think of like one thing that stands out. Klimt is somebody I've come back to recently that I was really interested in completely from a different perspective when I did portraits way back in college. And then recently I got really excited about his patterns. Um, and like the use of metallic paint again. Yeah, those are the biggest ones I'm going to list right now. Do you happen to have a quote that you'd like to share? <laughs> so I'm bad with quotes, but one came to my mind right away. And just the the more, more is more. Like, I think that one, I like the simplicity of the quote, but yeah. I I don't, economy is not one of the design principles I ever use. Like I never stop. I, I just keep adding layers and layers and layers and, details and details and details. And I'm always drawn towards the Baroque. So, you know, more is more to me. And that, I think that's a good, like simple one. (laughs) Nice. Thank you. Do check out divulgences at the co-creative center at 137 union street in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Here are a few additional details. The show is open until October 20th, and the opening is October 13th from 5 to 8. It's that Thursday, AHA night. October right. 13th is actually my husband and I's for, uh, 14th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we'll be spending it there at the reception. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, and the gallery is open from, I believe it's 9 to 4. Is it 10 to 4? I think it's 9 to 4, um, Monday through Friday. But it can be opened um, Dina Hayden, the gallery or the, the gallery curator and director can also open it like by, by appointment, you know, cause obviously those hours are pretty limiting for a lot of people. So it's open for events, special events, and then, you know, by appointment. So if anybody wanted to see it outside of hours, they could contact her or me, um, to arrange it, that being open. Cool. Thanks. So it's been fun. Yeah, well, thank you. This is it's so it's so fun to talk about art and to have interest in my work. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed seeing the paintings and collages you've been working on too. I've enjoyed seeing. um, I enjoy the ones that you have on the wall behind you. I've been looking at while we've been talking. You know, bright colors and dark lines and atmosphere. You know, those are certainly things I think about too. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Big thanks to Brooke Mullins Doherty for the conversation and for sharing so much about her studio life. For more of Brooke's work, visit the website brookmullins.com or over on Instagram. This has been Oddcast. I'm your host, Philip J. Mellon. Thanks for listening, and keep the dialogue going. Woo!
Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. Define abstract art. Oh, come on. Okay, here's a better one. What does this painting mean? I'm getting nowhere with this. Forget it. Hotcast Home is A-H-T-T-A-S-T dot com. Thanks again. Sounds like the party's over, but you can still stay connected. Otcast Audio is on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher, and now on Google Podcasts. Otcast Social on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Let's not forget about Instagram. Thanks for tuning in.